0: On this week's Texas Tribune Tribcast, a special live edition with the studio audience, we'll talk about the Texas midterms from the Cruz O'Rourke Senate race and hot congressional matchups to the biggest headlines out of the Texas legislature. But before we do, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this week's event. AT&T, PepsiCo, Walmart, and Southwest Airlines, the official airline of Texas Tribune events. This Tribcast is also generously supported by AARP, the Texas Grantmakers Advocacy Consortium, Texas Realtors, and the Texas Secretary of State. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, November 7th, the day after the midterms with the Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week live in studio with CEO Evan Smith, Executive Editor Ross Ramsey, political reporter Patrick Svitek, And in the second half of this podcast, State Representative Celia Israel, Democrat of Austin, and Larry Gonzalez, Republican of Round Rock. Let's give them all a big round of applause. (laughs) We'll also have Q&A at the end, and if you wanna tweet about how much you love the Tribcast, you can do it using the hashtag Tribcast. Very creative. Uh, All right, one more housekeeping note that's very exciting because one Texas Tribune podcast is just not enough. Our own Evan Smith is launching his own podcast called Point of Order to coincide with the start of the Texas legislative session. You'll be able to hear a sneak peek, a pilot episode this afternoon uh, when he airs his one-on-one interview with Joe Strauss. He recorded it this morning. He wasn't in the TribCast, so he had some time on his hands. So check for that on our website or on your favorite podcast player. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about the race everybody's talking about, the O'Rourke-Cruz matchup. There was a point pretty early in the night where we were looking at the numbers coming in and thinking, oh my God, Beto really has a chance. And then before we knew it, the race had been called. What happened?
1: Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the, the polling was right, basically. We had six months of polling that said this was a close race in low single digits. And if it had been one poll or two polls, you know, you might have been able to discount it, but it was a consistent finding and it turned out to be exactly what happened. The big uncertainty going into, you know, from the last two weeks and going into yesterday was what this big turnout number meant. Most everybody who was polling was looking at, you know, something more like a normal midterm turnout. We know we blew that out and you wondered who all the new voters were and what that meant. But you know. Um, at least at that level of the, of the polling uh, pretty much held.
2: So the turnout, I think the turnout numbers are worth saying out loud because they are remarkable. 4.7 million Texans turned out in the 2014 midterm, the last midterm. 8.9 million Texans turned out in 2016 for the presidential. 8.3 million Texans turned out to vote in this midterm. So you're talking about an increase of 3.6 million Texans. Many of them had not voted in a midterm election before. Many of them did not have a primary Voting history. There was a lot of, a, of sort of blind man seeing in the dark, feeling his way with people who were trying to read what this early vote and what the total turnout meant heading into this election. I, I share Ross's view that the polls were conclusive. If you look back at the last seven, eight, nine, Jim Henson, our pollster, is here, 10, 11, including our poll, they showed this as a mid single digit race, Cruz over O'Rourke. I think Beto O'Rourke led in one thought to be credible poll over the last several months. In every other race, it was somewhere in the vicinity of three, four, five, six, seven, might get up to eight, but there were not even double-digit polls. I actually think something did change. At the end of the second debate with Senator Cruz two weeks ago, where I don't think Congressman O'Rourke did particularly well, uh, I thought the carriage turned into a pumpkin. Fairy tales over. It was fun while it lasted, he's going to ride this out, the margin will widen. The Cruz people who were insisting that the Cruz-O'Rourke and Abbott-Valdez margins would get closer and closer by election day were probably right. This was going to end pretty much the way these things end-ish. Instead, over the last week, the pumpkin turned back into a carriage. I did not see this, and I think a lot of other people did not see this coming. He closed really strong. And Senator Cruz closed not strong.
3: In fact, it's funny you mentioned the second debate. The Cruz campaign told reporters at that debate that they, in their internals, had them up uh, eleven points. That was kind of their that that period after the Kavanaugh hearings. I believe the San Antonio debate came after that as well. um, You know, was kind of where I think they were riding high in terms of the time span of the last few months. Uh, But as you (laughs) compare eleven points internally then to the final margin this morning of three points, clearly there was some real movement.
2: Less than three. I mean, this is not just this is the most competitive race we've had in Texas since Ann Richards. Less than three is an amazing margin.
0: And it's worth noting that, I mean, up until 9 o'clock last night, we were getting text messages from Republican operatives saying basically, we're in serious trouble. He's going to win. Beto's going to win. Beto's going to win. We're looking at the math. We're looking at all these suburban counties. Uh, and then, you know, you saw them breathing a sigh of relief a couple of hours later. But, but <clears throat> what were you, Patrick, you were on the ground uh, with Cruz last night in Houston. I mean, what was the sentiment in the room?
3: You know, it was a pretty boisterous atmosphere. That from the, the supporters that I was seeing, they were watching Vox News on the screen. Vox was talking about other races across the country that were looking good for Republicans. That so was a, a generally uh, good mood. Uh, but there definitely was a sense of anxiety that developed as these early vote numbers came in. And it became clear that O'Rourke... Uh, was not only running up the score in the major metros uh, but was also doing really well in these kind of second-tier uh, counties suburban and, and, and rural in in some cases rural counties. Colin, Denton, uh,
2: Fort Bend. Exactly right? and yeah. so
3: um, that's what struck me the most I always expected him to run up the score and do really well in the cities but it was a question of whether he was going to really make a huge dent in some of these second-tier pop- population counties and he was doing really well and I think that that created a, ultimately a sense of anxiety and apparently it was <laughs> the cruise campaign Felt the need to address the the room last night. I forgot about what time it was. I think it was actually around nine o'clock. But Jeff Rowe, Cruz's uh, chief political strategist, took the stage and you know, basically said, um, "You know, everyone, calm down. We yes. always <laughs> don't freak out." He said, right. uh, "You can you can unclench a little." Basically, he said, uh, <laughs> "We always expected, you know, the, the beginning of the night to look like this with early vote coming in, with so many people uh, voting early, um, and and those numbers uh, favoring O'Rourke." Uh, And he said, you know, we're still waiting for the outer markets to come in, you know, places outside of uh, the metros and the collar counties. Um, And so and eventually that was that was proven true in that Cruz didn't lose. (laughs) Um, But uh, it clearly was a close race when all was said and done.
0: I mean, at one point early in the night, uh, Ross, you picked up a map and you started circling, pointing to counties and you started pointing at the suburban counties and you said, watch, watch the suburbs, watch the suburbs. What were you seeing happening even at that point in the The, night? You
1: know, the Republicans depend in Texas on their statewide races on really strong showings in Collin County, Denton County, Tarrant County, Williamson County. uh, In the past, Fort Bend County, places like that to offset blue cities. And they were pretty clearly coming apart. You saw that as you go down the ballot after the top race. You know, that's why it's a three-point race. And then that's why Dan Patrick's race is close. And it's why Ken Paxton's race is close. Angela Paxton was running for a full term and won by 200 votes. Um, There were a bunch of races like that. And um, I think the Republican hold on those counties has weakened quite a bit. That's why there are 12 new Democrats coming into the Texas House, two new coming into the Texas Senate. And, you know, it's a really worrisome point if you're a Republican and you've watched the state. You know, Dallas went blue and is now solidly blue. Harris County went red and purple and now looks solidly blue. Ask Ed Emmett about that. Um, And, you know, they now look to those counties, Montgomery is one of them, that held. uh, Tarrant County busted up. There's little blue streaks in all of these counties that they count on. And I think they're going to have to rebuild their coalition or build a new
2: one. Let me slightly veer from where Patrick was with regard to the Cruz message last night because I think that the Cruz people, there's a little bit of revisionist history going on. Heading into last night, they were saying, the Cruz people, or some Cruz people were saying, they believed they were up four points in the early vote. And when the early vote came out yesterday, I think all of us were blown back a little bit at the size of the O'Rourke margins in some of these places. Dallas County, O'Rourke two to one over Cruz. Tarrant County, the last big conservative county in America, right? The most conservative large county in America, tied, basically tied. Um, O'Rourke over Cruise by 10 points in Fort Bend. I mean, it, you know, it, it may well be that they were not entirely surprised by where this ended up at the end of the night. But honestly, I, I talked to nobody, I talked to nobody in Cruz World up until uh, yesterday who believed that the race was ultimately going to be this close. I mean, they they were prepared to say, yeah, it's not going to be double digits.
1: Well, they weren't going to tell you it was going to be this close. But they
2: were never going to say it. They were never going to say it if they did believe it. Well, so
0: what's the message to, you know, 97% of Austin that woke up this morning in a despair they haven't felt since the morning after the 2016 presidential election?
2: look, look, it was always something of a fairy tale. I mean, he he headed into this race.
0: Your Cinderella story, right? Yeah.
2: He headed into this race with a massive uphill battle on his hands. He O'Rourke. And it was always going to be Cruz's race to lose. It always was going to be. So if you convinced yourself that he was going to win, you did that against all evidence and against reality. It's not to say you shouldn't believe or shouldn't have wanted him to win, but all along, this was going to be Cruz's race to lose. Here's the other thing. O'Rourke turns out to have been, contrary to all evidence from his three terms in Congress and his time on the City Council of Paso, he is a singular figure in the modern era of Texas politics. He is the most articulate, empathetic, and charismatic Democrat to run since Ann Richards. I think he overperformed consistently on the campaign trail, blew people away, people who did not know him and people who did know him. And one of the challenges, that's already being discussed now, is that what happens after a Oro- war? Who is the next Beto? And the answer is, I don't know that there is somebody who can inherit that mantle because he is so unusual in terms of the, t- the tools that he put together in this race. Maybe we'll be as surprised by the next person as we were by him.
0: Ross, is Evan I mean, is Evan right on this point? Is there some are there yes, I know. Yeah. I'm giving him an opportunity. Please,
2: <laughs> please can, say no. Please can say can no. Ask him, me again. I can see
0: him licking his chops over yeah, here. He's got a right. bib on right there. I you see it. Has ha, ha, is geography are demographics shifting fast enough that you know other strong Democratic contenders will say, you know what? I've been waiting on the sidelines, waiting for the fact for the chance for it to be a five point margin, a three point margin, and now it's my time to jump in. Or was Beto O'Rourke a unicorn?
1: You know, in some ways he was a unicorn. In some ways he was a repeat of Cruz in twenty twelve. You know, Ted Cruz wasn't supposed to win that race. He beat Tom Leppard. He beat Craig James. He beat David Dewhurst, and nobody knew who he was. Um, you know, people like. You know, this is Barack Obama, that story. People like new candidates. Uh, You have to perform when you get there. But I also think that a lot of what happened in this election was a referendum on the president. He had a pretty good midterm in some ways, a pretty lousy midterm in some other ways. In Texas, the dial moved pretty um, convincingly to the left. It didn't move out of the red range, but it moved toward the blue. Um, That's what you see in all of those races. It's what you see in all of those statewide numbers. And while I think the Senate race was the big flashy thing that we were all paying attention to, for good reason, I think that the underlying structural problem here for the Republicans was that they have a president who is making, you know, it looks like suburban Republicans a little bit nervous and a little bit willing to shop.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those uh, races that are down the ballot. And Patrick, talk a little bit about the congressional landscape in Texas. Obviously, there were some uh, pretty high-profile Democratic pickups.
3: Yeah, so heading into this cycle, there were three GOP-held seats that were clear targets for National Democrats, just based on the fact that Hillary Clinton carried their districts. Uh, you had John Culberson's seat in Houston, you had Pete Sessions' seat in Dallas, and then you had Will Hurd's seat uh, in a district that stretches from San Antonio to El Paso. Will Hurd, traditionally, his, his district or his seat is, was kind of the perennial swing seat in Texas, so it wasn't necessarily a surprise that that was on the battlefield this time. Uh, and what you saw last night, you saw both Sessions and Culberson go down kind of the new additions to the battlefield and heard hang on I think I know we're still <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waiting to see how that's gonna <laughs> right. it's going to turn out like hello <laughs> medina O'clock county morning. Morning. you know yeah. yeah and and heard hang on and so uh, and then you also had national democrats targeting a bunch of several kind of second tier races these were races that they added the candidates to their red to, to blue program kind of as a way of designating to donors that these are serious people give to them they did but the DCCC and the outside groups didn't necessarily pour resources into these races but even in those races you saw some very close outcomes. A uh, good example is uh, MJ Hagar here in uh, or close to us in, in Williamson County, and uh, Bell County, running against John Carter, and I think she got within three points. Um, and so you still saw some right. And that had
2: been a, a Republican plus 19 right.
3: district. Yeah, you, so it's you still, still saw Republican. some pretty impressive outcomes right. in those in those second tier congressional races.
2: Yeah, Kulkarni,
1: Copser, a lot of those guys did... Kopser. Julie, Oliver, history, Julie Oliver
3: did better against Roger Williams than a lot of people
2: thought. I mean, th- I mean th- the opportunity for next time in the congressional races particularly, is really interesting. There will be many more races that the National Democrats target next time based on the strength of the Democratic performance, not by the stars, but by the supporting players this time.
0: So if you're a Republican this morning, what are you thinking?
2: Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right? You guys are really good with your one-and-two-word answers. you
1: You know, that one just missed them. I mean, the ones that... The ones that survived are looking at this and going, you know, I barely got out of here, you know Jonathan sticklin was talking about a Republican sweep a minute ago He didn't get to 50% the guy next door Giovanni Capriglione, almost got 70% So it talks a lot about what kind of Republican works. I think they're going to readjust and uh, Refigure how they go into these races, but you know the first sign we'll see about the Republicans adjusting to this is going to be the speakers race that's up right now with these newly elected people, these barely elected people, all deciding what kind of speaker it is, what the voters were saying.
2: The Stickland thing is interesting. By the way, we have to say Stickland's name at least once every TripCast. It's a little bit like Beetlejuice if you say his name three times, he magically appears. Um, Stickland has been famous for saying the last couple of sessions during the run-up to the election, we're coming back and bringing friends. meaning. The Freedom Caucus is going to come back with larger numbers this time than they had last time. And every time I'm like, dude, where are the people that it's, you say his you're bringing? Friend,
1: his friends are all Democrats.
2: <laughs> well, it turns, I mean, it, it's, it's the friends he's bringing back are like the invisible rabbit and in Harvey. I mean, it, at, th- at this point, honestly, you look at the Freedom Caucus numbers, I'm not sure their numbers aren't going to drop next time, right? I mean, the the, the, the inter- an interesting subplot in the next legislative session is going to be potentially the declining influence of that movement conservative wing, the sort of three parties of Texas theory, Democrats, traditional Republicans, and movement conservatives. The movement conservatives are going to find themselves crowded out now by lower numbers in their ranks and by 67 as opposed to 55 Democrats because I, I think they're in a position where they're going to have a hard time affecting the outcomes of things, either positively or negatively.
0: Well, I'm going to restrain you on that so we can talk about it in a little bit with our two special guests. But talk to us about how that played out among the statewides. Because obviously, when we saw you know Abbott performing super well, we saw some narrower margins in some of the statewide races that I think we didn't expect. You want him Both I, of you.
3: I would just add to the last question. I really want to get this pointed. One thing, if I were waking up this morning and I were a Republican, that I'd be thinking on just the practical mechanics of campaign level. Uh, of campaigning level is how do I raise more money next cycle? There was so many, there was so much financial disparity in some of these federal races. Obviously, this, the Senate race got a lot of attention, and it was largely because Democrats have cracked this code of online fundraising using this, this platform known as as Act Blue. There were so many times throughout this cycle where I heard from Republicans who said, "You know, we need to figure out what our Act Blue is. You know, we don't have a counterpart to that. We need to we need to figure out a way." To, to catch up in terms of the online fundraising infrastructure. Now obviously having the infrastructure is just one piece that you got to also have a compelling message, be a compelling candidate, have yep. the, the right policies, the right ideas, but just from a... <laughs> <laughs> a, a my, we, oh yeah, that stuff. But I'm speaking yeah. from just a you know, kind of mechanics of campaigning thing that I right. think Republicans need to figure out next cycle the federal, on the federal side.
1: I think the statewide Republicans have to learn out how to win general election races. They haven't been competitive in November for a long time. They've gotten really, really good at primary races. And some of those have been really, really interesting and had, you know, big players and lots of money and all of that kind of stuff. But they have to learn to run general election races now. And I think, you know, in some cases that's going to move them toward the middle. In some cases it's going to just teach them how to, you know, refine their points. And it might change how they run in Republican primaries if they're afraid of something that's going to happen in November, as they should have been last night. I think this snuck up on a lot of them.
2: One thing that you'll hear in the interview we'll post this afternoon with Speaker Strauss that I did this morning, asking him about the results of the elections, he says his big takeaway from this election day is that base politics is working less and less, that you cannot simply run that old play to just do the base. And that's reflected both in the outcomes in the lead slave races and it's also reflected in the closer than normal statewide races. I mean, look, Governor Abbott won by almost 14 points. That is, by anybody's uh, math, a significant margin. It is a a smaller margin, as I said, than in many other governor's races in recent memory, but it is a significant margin. I'm really shocked by the small margins in the Lieutenant Governor's race and the Attorney General's race and the AG race. We didn't poll the AG race. We did poll the AG's race and the Lieutenant Governor's race, and we saw a couple, three weeks ago that those races were closer than the Governor's race. But there is no reason to think that Greg Abbott should get 14 points over Lupe and Dan Patrick should be five points over Mike Collier. Or right. Justin. I'm,
0: who are the voters who are voting for Abbott and not voting for Patrick?
2: I don't know if it's under vote or if there's a, 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 a are there Abbott-Collier voters? Are there, well, I know one Abbott-Collier voter was probably Ed Emmett. How'd that work out for him? Um, <laughs> or there are there Abbott-Justin Nelson voters? I mean, I think each of those races has to be looked at individually, but unavoidably, you've also got to think of them as a group. The people who are voting against Dan Patrick may be doing it for a different reason than the people voting against uh, Ken Paxton. The people voting against Ken Paxton may not be doing it for the same reason that they're voting against Sid Miller. I mean, look, Glenn Hager and particularly George P. Bush were relative, um, uh, you know, powerhouses electorally compared to the other guys. You know, uh, Bush, Bush had about a 10 point margin over his opponent. Uh, Hager the same. Sorry. Christy Craddock had a significant margin. So something is up in certain, certain of the, you now, Paxton, Patrick, and Miller have at least one thing in common. They are super, 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 super conservative to a very kind of on-brand degree, unlike some of the others. Hager, Bush, Craddock. There's also that right? creature we haven't
1: seen much since 1998, the Texas swing voter. You know, there's, a, there's an O'Rourke...
0: Right, the people Abbott, with their O'Rourke and Abbott an O'Rourke signs. There's an O'Rourke-Abbott voter yep. here.
1: And there's, you know, this is from the days when there was a George Bush gone sharp voter. I mean, it used to be that it wasn't uncommon for people to cross like that. And this race you know, forced a bunch of people out. I don't know how many did it. You can do the math on it and see that they have to exist, or this wouldn't happen and that wouldn't happen. Right. Um, I'm sure that Dan Patrick is wondering, you know, uh, about the O'Rourke-Abbott-Collier voter.
2: I mean, I think they're looking at that, and they're going to have to examine this and figure out what it means and how they act. from there. Right. Well, But they, the question yeah. is whether behavior changes. We, we've all been gathered in here while the president's been on TV yelling at the press, or as we refer to it, Wednesday. Um, <laughs> And he seems not to have taken away from last night any sign of distress in terms of how he does his deal. And my question is, will Dan Patrick, as he presides over the Senate, take away from last night anything, or will it just be same song, different verse? Don't know.
0: Uh, Well, I want to talk a little bit, uh, she says awkwardly, with three other guys on stage, about some history that was made. Uh, The first two Latinas from Texas in Congress uh, were elected, Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia. They're also among the first freshman women elected to full terms in Texas in two decades in Congress. Uh, And we also saw, I think, a a plus seven in women in the Texas legislature. Uh, This sort of idea of of a wave of women, how did we see that playing out last night?
1: You know, more women on the ballot, more women in the winner's box. I mean, they, you know, it's, um, th- they performed as well as men in those positions would have performed. I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's probably a plus with some voters, um, but, you know, the idea, you know, part of the problem with women not being in office is women not competing, and we've solved the women not competing thing, and I think as you get more, you'll get more. I think that is an endless cycle. You know, there's this great statistic on the Texas legislature that we've had like 5,500 legislators in Texas history and we haven't had enough women in the legislature yet to fill both the House and the Senate. So fewer, I think it's 154, so slowly. Yep. Uh,
0: all right, well, for you two, who we're gonna uh, say goodbye to in just a moment, what were the two uh, biggest surprises of election night? Patrick, Ross.
3: Oh, boy. Um, I know,
0: you know I'm always gonna ask you this question. You might <laughs> I as would, well One thing that
3: stood out to me I don't know if it was a surprise, was the margin in the non-Abbott, non-Cruz statewide races. Dan Patrick um, and Ken Paxton and Sid Miller only winning by several points, five, six points. Um, And I was going to add this earlier, too. We did see signs of this at the end with Paxton. Obviously, Paxton has had this indictment that he's been uh, under for most of his first term, you know, a a pretty blatant political liability, um, to put it lightly. And we saw this in the final weeks of the campaign, Paxton's campaign. Uh, you know, reacted basically to his his Democratic challengers, started airing these very harsh attack ads, very direct response. The Friday before Election Day, they put up a TV ad, uh, you know, directly addressing the indictment for the first time. Um, they We saw in te- uh, campaign finance reports that they were getting uh, big help at the end from Greg Abbott, from Dan Patrick. And so it seems like one state, one of those statewide officials maybe saw what was coming and, and reacted accordingly. Then again, he also had a unique uh, weakness in, in being indicted. Um, but I would say that uh, you know the margins in those those kind of second tier, if you want to call them, statewide races, stood out to me.
1: Yeah, I think the the big changes were um, the things that most surprised me were the Democratic strength in Collin and Denton counties. Sort of like that's just unheard of.
2: Um, well, and, nobody saw Ron Simmons losing, right?
1: Well, right. Uh, you know, those, those two. Uh, you know, We saw Williamson coming. Uh, it's been talked about. It's been, you know, on my list. It's been on other people's lists. There are a couple, of, a couple of seats up there that people were watching. The Simmons thing was a, a shocker. The Leach and Shaheen wins were uh, scary narrow uh, and, and probably are a road map to the next people along. And then I got to have a shout out from my hometown. El Paso finally voted like a city. Uh, enough, you know, uh, the way it usually votes, it looks like rural Texas, but um, a bunch of people voted. They outdid their 2014 total vote in the first three days of early voting. It so obviously helps that you've got a hometown candidate. But you know, that, that means that statewide officials have to have to fly west at least once or twice during a campaign now.
0: And, yeah, indeed. And before we switch gears to local races, Evan, just put this in sort of the national context. How did Texas uh, compare to the Texas is bluer
2: now than Indiana, Missouri, North Dakota, and maybe Ohio. You know, and the presidential race, the margin in the presidential race in Texas was actually narrower than, I believe, Iowa in the last presidential. There were a number of states that had gone Democratic much more recently than Texas had, but the margin in Texas was narrower than in a whole bunch of other states. And last night, if you just look at the top of the ticket races, I mean, the O'Rourke race was so close that you'd have to say the possibility of a Democrat getting elected in Texas is greater than a Democrat getting elected soon in North Dakota, Missouri. I mean, it's, I, I think Texas is, became a more interesting place rather than less from the national political perspective. Of course, we think it's the most interesting place, right? <laughs> But from a national political perspective, I think Texas is more interesting at the conclusion of election day 2018 than it was. A very smart person in the room tonight today said something I completely agree with, that next presidential election, Texas cannot be the ATM state that it has been because Democrats are gonna come here not just to raise money, but to look for votes. This is now a state that is not exactly in play. It's not exactly blue. But it's less red. It's more susceptible. The, 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 the things that people have been hyping for so long are starting to be visible. And so that's an interesting pivot that I didn't anticipate.
0: I saw all these Republican operatives tweeting last night, Texas is the new Florida. And I thought, oh my god. Please don't. Texas. This don't, is so good for the yes. news right. business. <laughs> Texas man. We need Indeed. Texas man stories. That's yeah. right. All right, well, join me in a round of applause for Patrick and Ross. We're going to.
2: Can I say one thing while our guests are coming up?
0: You can, and then I have to thank some more sponsors. Yeah. So uh, the one thing I story. would
2: observe, uh, come on up here. The one thing I would observe while our guests are coming up is I, I was personally, Emily, not prepared to say heading into yesterday that Connie Burton was going to lose in Tarrant County. I thought Don Huffines would probably lose because Pete Sessions was going to lose and the Huffines district is contained entirely within the Sessions district. There were no Colin Allred, Don Huffines voters, or very few. But I I am surprised that Connie Burton did lose. Tarrant County really did change yesterday in a way, not just at the Senate level, but kind of across the board in a way that I don't think we anticipated either. So I think that's a big surprise to keep in mind.
0: Good. Well, uh, keep that surprise front in mind. I'm just going to thank three TribCast sponsors, the Texas Association of Counties. Local government is great, not because it's government, because it's local and connected to the people. Learn more at TexasCountiesDeliver.org. The Texas Association of Community Colleges, over the past 15 years, the number of degrees and certificates awarded by Texas community colleges has increased 177%. Be a part of Texas success. And the Texas Bankers Association, for almost 200 years, Texas banks have been cornerstones of their communities. We are the Texas Bankers Association at TexasBankers.com. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us. We cannot wait to have all of your expertise in telling us what happened in the Texas legislature last night.
4: Thank you for having us.
5: Oh, our pleasure. What happened? Um, Texas found its voting muscle, and I was really, really excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> you saw some good news last night. I was, I was thrilled. Um, Did you think it was going to be twelve? Uh, yes. So twelve Sorry, house seats,
0: win? two,
5: two state senate seats. Yes. 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 I, I, I traveled to Houston and I traveled to Dallas and I, and I met those uh, women in particular, and. Um, we blocked, walked for them, um, you know, and uh, good things happen when women get together and drink wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, Many uh, <laughs> people in
0: this room know that, yes.
5: <laughs> <laughs> we got to know them, they got to know us, and I found out how hard they had been working. And those of us who have been involved in campaigns know it's hard, it's difficult. And um, they put their lives on, on a shelf and had been hustling. So, you know, the Bethel factor was, was the aerial. And then, you know, women like Vicki Goodwin and uh, Ramos um, Katanach have been uh, walking with their, on the shoestring to, to get their message out all year long. So it was, I saw a mutually beneficial thing happen, and what happened was the voters were contacted several times. Mm-hmm. Well, Representative Gonzalez, you uh,
0: made what maybe now seems like a prescient decision to uh, not run for <laughs> reelection.
4: election
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me, so you saw the writing on the wall?
4: Yeah, for a while for a while, I mean, I've been doing this, I mean, before I ran for office consulting, I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, these numbers are not unfamiliar to me. It is a science, it's, a, it's you look at the numbers, to me, it, to me it's math, I mean, it's, it's votes in the box, right? It's, it's, it's simple math and, and we began to see a lot of polls that were moving to the summer and, and things were changing a little bit. But for me, the key is in the box. It's early voting, all I, right? I, I, I love my pollster friends, but to me it's in the box. And so we started pulling daily, daily numbers from who has voted and you start tearing apart and examining their, their voting history. Ruh-roh. Um, you, you could see it coming by the third day of early voting, you realized this is, this is, this is gonna happen, right? Especially I'm watching at the, at the, at the, at the state level, right? Um, and sure enough, every day we looked at it and looked at it and looked at it and talking to my friends across the state and different colleagues and things like that, you realize, okay, I had thought going into it 8 to 10, maybe on a high note 12, we're a few percentage points are being 15, 16.
2: Right. A cu- you know, <laughs> in, in a couple of these races, if a few votes had gone differently, you'd be 16, yeah, 17. That's exactly right. Right. That, this is the inverse of 2010, right, in the sense that it was not thought that the numbers would be this high for the Republicans in 2010, for the right. Democrats this time. Just turned out that we all underestimated. Some we, of came,
5: we came really close to Donna Howard being chair of the Appropriations Committee
2: in, in 20, If we had had yeah. the
5: blood the, the bloodbath that could have happened this year, yeah, a few more the close races, we would have had, um, we would have had a different dynamic in the Democratic Caucus. We'd that'd be you know a, a bunch of um, um, egos who are suddenly throwing their name in the ring for, for a Speaker. Um, uh,
2: Representative Gonzalez, I want to ask you if if you believe that Austin being less affordable today has pushed Austinites with Austin votes into Williamson County, where they can they can no longer afford to live in Austin, they've made, they've been pushed north into Pflugerville, Round Rock, Cedar Park, and that the composition of those legislative districts, Tony Dale was beaten pretty handily in his district in Cedar Park, and uh, the hand-picked Republican successor to you in your district, Cynthia Flores, was beaten pretty soundly by James Tallarico, the Democrat. Is that part of what's going on here, that you have Austin people pushed north? with Austin values and Austin votes, and so those districts are becoming purple if not blue.
4: Part of it, yes, depends on which part of Williamson County you wanna talk about. If you wanna talk about the 45,000 people who live in Austin, Texas, Williamson County, yes. If you wanna talk about Hutto and Taylor, um, probably not. not. But people were voting in Hutto and Taylor like they haven't voted before. So I think it's a mixture where I live. It's a mixture of, and it's true, there are a lot of state employees Who now live in Williamson County because Austin is just not affordable and I and I know that because as someone who appropriated 42 state agencies I know my state employees and they live in Williamson County and so I think I think there's some of that but it's also new voters and voters who found a voice Um, I've often thought I've often thought uh, as a Hispanic that if the Hispanic population in Texas would vote we'd have seen this years ago but they didn't they haven't and then you wake up today, and that's one of the mixtures, right, that I'm kind of looking at now, and, okay, what is that racial component of it all? Right. But this could have technically happened a long time ago, I think, if Hispanics would have been more active at the polls. Um,
0: previously. So how much of this is an O'Rourke trickle-down effect versus, you know, the geography and the demographics of these suburban counties changing? I mean, you know, do you expect in two years suddenly to, to be out more seats because there's no Beto O'Rourke at the top of the ticket?
4: I think, um, I'll say this. Beto O'Warek did not win his race, but he won a whole lot of others. Where I live and what I've seen, it was the motivation, the enthusiasm, the people who went out to vote, who were motivated to vote by him and, and for him, and, and it was that enthusiastic voter. One thing is to be a voter, one thing is to be an enthusiastic voter. Those are very different things, and I think people lined up behind him, and it was, it was, it was incredible to watch happen you don't see that type of personality that can come in and just hit that kind of, uh, kind of a stride, uh, but he did, he did.
5: I I'd still see the, 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 you know, the two trajectories that were happening. There was a lot of folks in August who said Beto doesn't have a chance. He was running an unconventional race. It was cool to watch. Um, and he started, you know, getting steam. While he was doing his thing in, in, in the 254, People like Tony Dale and James Tallerico were knocking on doors of people that moved here from Palo Alto six years ago, and they might vote in the presidential, but they didn't know their vote mattered. And we all know when you knock on somebody's door and make a connection, they're more likely to vote. So I still see it as a two-pronged attack that was mutually beneficial to to a historic night. Well, Well, let let me ask the question
2: real quick.
4: Real quick, If if you look where I live. In Williamson County, we had the we had the the one-two punch. It was Beto MJ, mm-hmm. right? And right. I mean, so so look at Williamson County today, right? Mill ballots aside, Williamson County today, you've got two Democrat state reps, you have two Democrat JPs, you have two Democrat county commissioners. Beto wins Williamson County, and MJ wins Williamson County. Mm-hmm.
2: Tells you something about how the county has changed. There's the reality. Of so so I want to ask Representative Israel if looking ahead two years, kind of a version of what. Uh, Emily asked Representative Gonzalez. You know there's two theories of this, So, scenario 8367, in two years do you now have an opportunity to take back control of the House or is the reverse true? Since you caught the Republicans flat-footed in a lot of these places where you shouldn't have won, Mm -hmm. don't they come back roaring in two years and try to take back those seats that you won this time in certain cases with the same people? Why doesn't Mike Schofield run for his seat again in two years thinking it's going to be a different year? Why doesn't uh, you know? I mean, is is there not a possibility of doing better, but also a possibility in two years of of sliding back to where you've been?
5: Well, you do, but you
2: also have no straight ticket voting at that point, too.
5: Yeah, well, no more straight ticket voting, but with Trump on the ballot, this was a referendum on Trump. I think Trump was on the ballot anyway.
2: He was on the ballot
5: this year, and it was he was part of the equation and what drove people to the polls. It was part of Beto's message. It was part of Cruz's message. so the answer is yes that, but then then it's bring on the big guns then it becomes even more of a battleground state then it becomes even more competitive yep. because you have then um a defined um incumbent who has some stuff to show and they're going to be held accountable to the voter whether they're a democrat or a republican so that's a that's a good thing for that Texas, cuts both ways that's, that's a good thing for the legislature
4: i think i think that cuts both ways because with a democrat u.s house you know, everyone kind of needs a boogeyman, right? Everyone needs a boogeyman. And I think what's going to happen is for the next two years, we are going to see what a Democrat U.S. House looks like. There's going to be voting records. Democrats are going to be on the record. They're going to be making votes. You're going to see what that leadership looks like. You're going to see what their priorities look like. You're going to see what all of that looks like from a Democrat-led Congress. For a lot of Republicans, you want them on the record. You want, if you live in Williamson County, you want to be able to see these guys on the record. Because one thing is to, sing kumbaya and, and, and work together and you know, put, put Texas first, but at some point you're going to have to push a button and the world is going to see if your values truly align or not. It's easy to be the minority party and, and, and not be that influential, but when you are the majority party and when you are in charge, you're going to have to lay out an agenda that you didn't have to this time, but you will next time, and that's going to be very telling because then you have something to run against if you're a Republican against the Democrats. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, speaking of that agenda, I mean, let's let's talk about the speaker's race, let's talk about the balance of power in both the Senate and the House, Texas Senate, Texas House, and how those compare to the way they were just a, a day ago. Mm-hmm. Evan, why don't you tell us about the Senate, for starters, because there's less... Race. Well, so
2: the Senate had been 2011, and then the Democrats did... Twenty-two-eleven. Dem- yeah, pardon me, the, tw- tw- the Democrats had been 2011 in that there were 31 senators, 20 Republicans, 11 Democrats. Um, Carlos Oresti moved on to the next phase of his life, let's just say. <laughs> So kind. <laughs> um, and uh, there was a special election <laughs> in Bear County, and as we all know, uh, the international sign for a special election in Bear County is a dumpster on fire. <laughs> and uh, the Republicans snatched what had been a Democratic-held seat for 34 years from the Republicans, and suddenly now Senator Pete Flores from um, that part of—he's not from San Antonio, but from that part and of the right. re- state—representing represent, what was the old Carlos Arreaza. Now you're at 21 Republicans and 11 Democrats. The procedural change when Dan Patrick came in as lieutenant governor lowered the threshold to bring a bill to the floor from two-thirds, which would have been 21, down to 19. So now you're at 21-10. Huffines loses, Burton loses, now you're at 19-12. If only the Democrats had had their act together and had kept that arrestee seat, now they're suddenly below the 19 threshold and they've got the power to have a little bit of fun in the Senate and actually move the needle. So I think that the Pete Flores victory in that special election seat in in the Senate is significant and consequential, huge for the next session. But 1912 is not 2011 and not 2110. So there were more Democrats in the Senate and and so there's that. As we said earlier, 95-55 in the House, Republican and Democrat, now is uh, is uh, 83-67. The Democrats are a lot closer to parity, and that gives them more stroke in terms of the way issues are decided, debates are conducted, and in particular, I believe, personally believe that there may be disagreement that the Speaker's race does change materially as a result of this composition and pivots in a way that is more favorable to Democrats rather than less because of the numbers changing.
0: Yes, let's get specific on that. I'd love to hear both of your projections on what this looks like in the Speaker's race, given the numbers the Democrats picked up.
5: Well, I haven't talked to all my Democratic colleagues, but I've talked to a lot of them, and I feel like this, you know, it's, it's positive news, right? It means your your your, your favorite uh, bipartisan bill um, gets Brushed up and cleaned up, and it might it might have a chance this session because you telecommute. You're, you're not right. Telecommute. Telecommuting. Uh, online voter registration. <laughs> online voter
2: registration. Um,
5: I
0: can get behind this telecommuting. Is this is the Celia jam, right?
5: This I is did. your yeah. jam. I, I, I voted, voted for it. Um. Right. In oh, Harris County, we lost Stan Standard, so that's a good thing for online voter registration.
2: Terrible for journalism to lose Stan Standard in Harris County, but <laughs> um, it may be good for Harris
5: County. I I, I could. We're going to you know, keep meeting, but I feel, though, Emily, that we are, um, we were already strong. We were already pretty united that we, we knew we needed to hang together, hang tough, keep your powder dry, and um, let's, let's let them, um, let's let the Republicans who were in several, cut up in several different ways, uh, figure it out. They didn't see a lot, of, a lot of these victories coming, I guarantee you. Well, they um,
2: didn't think they needed you all, and in fact, arguably said, We don't want to do business with the Democrats right. as far yeah, as the just, Speaker's like rights go. It's harder now, isn't
5: it? So they meet December the 1st, officially. Um, officially. And we'll, we'll yeah, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a group, and we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm, after the victories that we had, though, I feel as though the Democrats can feel more strengthened um, and uh, united. And together and say, let's let's continue to keep our powder dry and let let the Republicans figure it out. But it feels good to be wanted. Let me
2: put you on (laughs) the spot. You want to dance? Put you on the spot. I want to dance. I'd love
5: to dance.
2: Could you vote for Dennis Bonin for speaker?
5: I choose to wait and talk to my colleagues. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, that's a Could you vote
2: for Drew Darby for speaker?
5: Let's let me give you this. Oh my God. Just give us an acceptable it's a simple list yes or of names
2: no answer. Blink twice like you're a prisoner. I mean, if you have to.
5: I, I believe that, it's it's about relationships. We all know it's about who was nice to me, who who looked at me on the floor instead of said, um, you know, can you get out of the way because I'm trying to do something. You know, it's about respect. Who was who was good to me and who said, uh, Sally, you need some help in that third reading amendment? I got you covered. Has Dennis Bonner ever been nice to you? <laughs> There's been limited opportunity.
0: (laughs) Uh, You and Dan Patrick. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Representative Gonzalez, uh, game plan this for us. What does this look like?
4: There were, um, if you look at which Republicans were touting who was kind of on their team unofficially, um, there's a couple of folks who lost a lot of votes last night. Um, There was, someone, someone's not as strong as they were two days ago. Uh, Without knowing what my Democrat, you know, former colleagues are doing, it's hard to tell. But I don't, I don't know that it, whether it should or it does, um, change what that dynamic is amongst kind of the big three, I guess, right? Bonin, you know, Drew Darby, Four Price, I think. Clardy. Clardy. Clardy with, you know, you have uh, some, some, some changes last night, right? So, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I think um, for for Celia. My and, face shall and remain
5: unemotional. <laughs> I shall not lift my eyebrows for either one of those.
4: I think for uh, for for Celia and, and her colleagues, there's a real conversation there uh, to be had. And I will tell you this: um, I I believe it is relationships, and I believe it is how you work with people and and how you talk to people, right? So as a budget conferee, sometimes the answer is no. But is it a no or is it a no and pivot? It, I can't this one sell So you, temperament, temperament matters. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. And I, and I think how you handle those situations, and believe me, as a conferee, you say no a thousand more times, and you say yes in the budget. But you know that you came to me with several things, and, and I did where I could, and if I couldn't, I was looking for a way to, to kind of help you on something else, right? It's, it's those relationships now you're thinking back, yep. and you're playing back through your mind, well, wait a minute.
5: I shall I remember. remember.
2: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No. So, w- w- one quick thing. Is the is the eventual speaker in the race now? I believe so. I, so. I believe you so. You both think I, I, so. I, I, I
4: mean, we're getting late. I believe so. Um.
0: Evan, you had a conversation with Joe Strauss this morning. Yes. Obviously, the podcast has not gone live yet, but what did he say about who he thinks the next speaker might be?
2: Well, he was, of course, classic Joe Strauss, unwilling to to be too... Uh, spicy about uh, this subject. Um, <laughs> spicy right. He's not spicy yeah, But but I but I but I will say that he is in the camp, as you'll hear, of those who believe that the elections and the results of the elections yesterday will have a material impact on how all this plays out. Um, look, I mean, the, the caucus vote by Republicans has happened before, and let's be clear: the caucus has no police authority. Right? If you go into the caucus and you say, I'm going to support this candidate, and then you come out and you decide, actually, I don't like the decision that they made, I'm going to support somebody else, there is no Republican caucus jail that you go to. So in some ways, this whole thing is a charade. It may be a good charade, it may be a smart political charade, but it is a charade in that it is not binding. And so, um, you know, I think from the Speaker's perspective, he's thinking, look, if you do the math, you got to get to 76. That's all that matters. Get to 76. And you now have 67 Democrats. If 67 Democrats walk over as a block, you need nine Republicans, nine. So for all the talk of deciding this in the caucus, which may well happen, there are probably a bunch of Republicans who would like to be speaker. I suspect that a bunch of people like at the presidential, level, people look in the mirror in the morning, they look back and they see a future speaker staring back at them, right? There are probably a whole bunch of people in the House who would think I'd like to be speaker and they think all I got to get is nine.
5: There's a lot of pressure on the Democrats to save the Republican Party. Are we going to have the movement leadership Republican or are we going to have the traditional Republican?
2: It is much more likely today than it has been at any point in the last year since Joe Strauss announced his planned departure. It is much more likely today than on any day that the next speaker is like Joe Strauss as opposed to unlike Joe Strauss in temperament and in politics.
4: Do you know what they call you? Much more likely. You know what they call you if you were the 67-9 guy? Speaker.
2: They call you speaker. That's it.
0: Well, we've talked a lot about the politics. Let's talk about the policy. What is a more moderate speaker? What does this shift in the legislature mean for the kinds of bills we can expect to see to um, Governor Abbott's desk? Online for example, voter registration. Ba- online, yeah, right. In your dreams. You wish, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I mean, uh, the prospects of a bathroom bill, for example, or some of the more uh, sort of social conservative legislation, uh, abortion legislation. What what should expectations be from a policy well, standpoint?
5: Well, I think, you know, Larry can back me up on this, but I felt like in the last regular session, the business community was unhappy, but they weren't necessarily muscled up and vocal, and then when the special session came around in which a bathroom bill was plopped right in the middle of all those bills um, the business community was not only unhappy but they were vocal and they let people know and I I don't suspect that they will want to lose the gains that they've made to say how unhappy they were with the bathroom bill so you know it came down from a business angle so they I I I don't see the business community letting up on any of that and now with the turnout that we've had and and the gains that we've made and the close races that we had, you know, that Ferris Paxton race, for example, I, I would hope that some some sounder uh, minds will prevail on the practicality of of cutting, turn down the volume on on, on the crazy. <laughs> Please.
0: I think Ross has a column today that actually uses that turn down the volume. Yep. Representative Gonzalez, what about you?
4: First of all, I love that she said "bathroom bully" and "plopped" in the same sentence. I <laughs> think, that was, think that was great, man. Uh, <laughs> next, there's going to be a splash.
5: You know, <laughs> we we sat next to each other so I could yeah. see Larry we, gets we, me. We <laughs> I know Celia you're very well. When you spend all those
4: hours wow. on the House floor together, and she sits right in front of me, we have a uh, we have we a lot have of com- We have a lot of conversation. He gets me. You know, but I I think. <laughs> um, so the house was kind of that temperament already though as compared to the Senate right or yeah. I mean we were we were already that body right so um, I don't know, I mean, uh, shift a little bit, sure, but I, I would like to think that we were already pretty easy. But it's, it's
2: fair to say, Representative Gonzalez and Israel, that if you couldn't pass a bathroom bill in a house that was ninety-five you're going to have a much harder time passing one mm-hmm. in a house that's that's 8367, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm Simmons trying not the, to look at Laura yeah. Colangelo when I say this, but if you couldn't pass school yeah. choice I mean, Ron Simmons, in that last authors, session, yeah. you have a much harder time passing school choice right. in this yep. session. There were a lot of things that were maybe sort of kind of but hard. That have just gotten harder. Right. Plus, as a, a primary
0: author of it of the bathroom bill losing his job.
2: Well, they will find somebody else to carry that if they want to. But yes, but Ron Simmons losing, true. Sure.
5: We we had a showdown last session over school of school finance. House Bill Twenty One, and that was the day when the House said, we we haven't fixed it, but we've begun to address it, and and that bill was literally held hostage on the Senate um, for choice and 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 bathrooms, and um, I what did happen was that we won those two senate seats in north texas and that means that there isn't a wider canyon between the house and the senate there 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 was the potential that we were going to win more seats in the house and that we were going to um, um, lose those those seats in the senate and that the rift between the house and the senate would just grow so that's a good thing um so i i, I hope that means good things for retired teachers, um, I hope that means good things for equity and school finance, the, the big issues is that people are tired of a blue ribbon committee on.
2: Well, and, and the fact is that you do have, in the case of the math and the Senate, I mean they have 19, they need 19 to bring up a bill. But you don't have 19 all in agreement on every issue. Yeah. You know, Kel Seliger supported the bathroom legislation, but he did not support school choice, I believe. and so. They're going to have to go find Senator Lucio or some other Democrat to be wayward on some of these issues that the Democrats are otherwise in sync on to get some of this legislation onto the floor based on that new math of the Senate. Had Huffines been reelected, had Burton been reelected, it would have been different. It is not the case.
0: All right, well, we are going to turn it over to audience Q&A. We have a mic right here. If you've got a question for this esteemed panel, raise your hand, and we'll get you a mic. And please uh, introduce yourself.
1: Uh, Blame Bull. blame Bull. Um, On that topic y'all were just having, isn't Governor Abbott a winner? So you've got a – he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at the lieutenant governor because the lieutenant governor is weakened. Poor performance, tighter Senate. The House we've already talked about is going to be moderated just because there's more Democrats. Um, Perhaps Abbott doesn't have to be as far out there on the right, and he can kind of go back more to the traditional kind of – business Republican perspective, you're shaking your head no.
5: I, I a girl can dream. Like, uh, they're putting me on the spot here. I I would hope that this, if I was Queen of Texas um, and I had just been through this, I would say, hey, let's try something different. Let's work from the middle. Let's not, let's not work from the fringe. So, I, I you know, I'm an Ann Richards Democrat, and um, I, I I remember what it used to be like, so I I want to be in the legislature long enough to get us to that point again where, where we're not cutting each other up over this stuff. And uh, I would hope that the governor would want a, um, a legacy of, of progress around real, robust, full-day pre-K, for example. I know he cares about that topic. This is a great opportunity for him and us to work together on that.
1: From the last panel, I had one question I couldn't let Evan get away without answering his own question. When you said, who's the next Beto, and you didn't see who it was, what if it's Beto? Is he going to
2: run against Cornyn? Well, so there's a a couple questions, and it's a bit of an if-then tree. So John Cornyn's up for re-election in 2020. So if you walk as I do every day multiple times on conventional wisdom alley, the block between the Austin Club and the Starbucks at 10th in Congress. (laughs) What you hear is John Cornyn's not gonna run again. Now, we don't know that to be the case, but there's definitely chatter about that possibility. I think it would be a different race if it were an open seat than if we're not an open seat. But you heard the same stuff that I've heard. Well, he should run for president. Well, how about Pope? There may be an opening for Pope at some point. He, he is Irish, as the Cruz people told us every day for the last three months, right? I don't know, I, I, let him go back and hang with his children for a couple of months before we start talking about what he's gonna do I, now. I don't, I don't have any idea what he's gonna do. Yeah.
5: <laughs> I, like, I, I would like to remind those of us who, who do politics all the time and live in two-year cycles that what Beto has achieved, aside from his message and his persona and his reputation and making our city of El Paso look really awesome, um, is that he now has a database. Um, he has the best database. And, and if he can refine that and work on that, whatever his future holds, should I think he's the kind of person that would, would help us turn that database into more good things down the road.
2: But, but, but to your qu- point, Mr. Shields, so let's assume that the next Beto is not Beto. I mean, the, the, the talent, I'm sorry to say this, please, the talent pool is shallow. It is. It is. And, and, I, and that's not a diss to the Democrats so much as an acknowledgement that had there not been a Beto this time, this cycle would have looked very different because the alternatives were, were spare. Now to come back around to what I said earlier, we didn't think that Beto was Beto. So there may be other people out there who have the ability to lean into the moment. We just didn't see that on the front end. Uh, Let me guess what this is about. No, I'm, I'm going to
5: fool you today. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I've been a poll worker for many, many years. The, uh, yesterday we did more provisional ballots than we have ever, ever done. We had people coming to the polls that found out they had been purged because they hadn't voted in the last election. Will this next uh, legislature be able to deal with some of this massive amount of suppression that's going on? Mm. Well, And, and um, do you accept the premise that there's <laughs> a
2: massive amount of suppression going
5: on? I, I, I do tend to agree that there's a massive amount of suppression. Um, I was thinking, you know, I got calls, last minute calls from friends who say, hey, my, my roommate just moved here from Oklahoma. This is my my, my niece in Dallas. Um, can they still get registered? No. We don't have same day registration. Um, so we don't have the, the, the thoughtful technological tools to, to say, let's get the best, uh, most secure, accurate database possible. Uh, I don't see that happening, and I'm vice chair of the elections committee, but I mean, that's the most unbalanced committee. I don't know if that will be with the new speaker, but seven members, five of them are Republicans. So you know, like they had to make me the vice chair. <laughs> <laughs> so. Representative Gonzalez, why
0: don't Republicans have a <laughs> greater incentive to make it easier to register, to make it easier to vote?
5: If,
4: if you, uh, there's a lot of committees get a lot of attention in the legislature. If you've never sat through the elections committee <laughs> it's fascinating because you're talking about the rules that set all this up i mean that that's sort of if, if you're interested that's in those types the of issues that yeah. that's it right it's not ways and means right. and yeah. that's it that's the conversation and so i know the democrat county chair republican county chair actually testify every time yeah williamson county they actually agree on several things and then they don't agree on some of the things but if you want to spend some time really understanding those types of issues invest some time in a committee that nobody watches, which is elections, because they're setting the rules. So what are the rules for being purged, right? What are the rules? I mean, you can complain that you got purged, but what do the rules say about getting purged, right? That's where the actual policy comes into play, and that's why that committee is important, and people kind of gloss over it sometimes. But you're defining the rules of the game, and if you want to play the game, you better understand the rules. So that committee, I would encourage people to really pay attention to.
2: Representative Gonzalez, can I just push back a little bit on that and just say the the issue here is we as a state, Republicans, Democrats, talk all the time about how we want people to participate, we want people to vote, and then we seem to do the exact opposite. Representative Israel has been talking for years about online voter registration, same-day voter registration, motor voter, which 30 states have, Democrat states and Republican states. And we do right. use these
0: machines from 2002. Right.
2: Instead, what we have in 2018, we have... In another state, voting machines that didn't have power cords, so the voting machines run out. Or we have problems in uh, so many places, and you think, how is it possible that in 2018 with the technology that we have available to us, that these problems exist, Mm -hmm. a cynic, and maybe not just a cynic, would conclude that it's not an accident. So why doesn't Texas, which likes to be first and best at everything, step up and fix the problem? Are you saying that the machine's not working is not an accident? I, I'm saying that there are too many instances of shoddy technology or antiquated machines or whatever else. It seems like it would be in the interest of everybody who talks about the value of civic participation, Republican and Democrat alike, to fix this.
0: But this requires an investment of capital, of cash, and as we see in state agencies, as we see in county facilities, I mean, nobody wants to fork over that cash for anything.
5: Well, uh, elections. I, I have to remind you that we had strong bipartisan support for House Bill 76 in my first session, and um, it didn't cost us any money it was just technology and we have online voter registration now when you go to the DMV the clerk asks you if you want to get re- you know registered and they click a button it goes to the state your data gets matched up it's more secure there's no typos and it and you get a card with your correctly spelled name on it but if you go if you're at home and you try to do that no you got to print out a piece of paper so we have technology that can help us save money and help us create things, aside from yeah. buying new infrastructure. I, I guess what I'm asking important. is,
2: do you think we should be, I mean, you're no longer going to be in office, so you can say what you think, <laughs> unlike all I those say times you are in office, right? Do you, yeah, do, yeah. You, do
4: you think we should be doing more to make it possible for people to vote? I think technology opens up a lot of doors, Evan. I, I think technology opens up a lot of doors. I will say that as a general statement. As a personal, personal opinion, I hate the machine. I mean, I've, I've, I have advocated in Williamson County, give me a choice. I want the paper, man. Like, I, I don't like the machines. I've always been worried of the machines. So, while I was one of the guys who funds all the technology for this state, um, you know, um, I'm a paper ballot kind of guy. I, I, I really am. Uh, but you can do more with technology. It does allow you to do more with technology. Totally agree. But there's been some really uh, difficult conversations on which technologies you're looking at. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, time for one more quick question. Yep. Right here in front. The best shirt of the day. Mm-hmm. On vacation.
1: I'm Austin Kessler and I have a question about William you've t- bo- several people talked about Williamson County and the, the people moving from the Austin area to Williamson and how Williamson is turned blue. We recently moved from Austin to Hayes County. Hayes County seems also have turned
2: well, in fact, turned in fact, blue blue. Well did Congressman O'Rourke win. When- now, the question about Hayes County, not only did Congressman O'Rourke win Hayes County, but so did Sheriff Aldez win you know, Hayes County. Ruben Aaron, Becerra won Aaron the uh, commissioner. Right. And, and you, House race, House you, race flipped in that Aaron county. Aaron zweener won yeah. that,
1: and Kling did very well in Hayes County. There's,
4: there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parallels between Williamson County to the north and Hayes County to the south. There's no doubt about it. The difference is I have better transportation uh, coming from yeah. Williamson County. Yeah, so, so you would, so you should move north because you can get downtown lots of different ways.
5: So the, uh, the the Travis County delegation hangs together pretty tightly. Me and Eddie and Gina and Donna, and now we were talking last night how we're not just the Travis County uh, club. We're the Central Texas it's, club. It, 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 it's, so, it's the I-35 corridor We've got, we've got more bubbles, high tech, high growth. Our districts are, are similar in that it's just it's rooftops. So. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah,
2: there's, there's a lot of similarities, absolutely, like between Williamson and Hayes. You, dr- you drive south and you don't hit a Republican until you get to La Larson, right? I mean, that's. <laughs>
5: All right,
0: folks, well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to our sponsors, AT&T, PepsiCo, Walmart, Southwest Airlines, AARP, the Texas Grantmakers Advocacy Consortium, Texas Realtors, and the Texas Secretary of State. Special thanks to the Texas Association of Counties, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, and the Texas Bankers Association. And an extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, Representatives Israel and Gonzalez, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you
5: never use do i have to top you